Welcome to OB Boss Babes, where we showcase female entrepreneurs, working professionals, community builders, and boss babe biz owners that share their stories so that others can feel inspired, empowered, and connected to other women in business. We are the must-listen podcast for entrepreneurs throughout the Ottawa Valley, Lanark County, and the Pontiac. Here at our Boss Babes face behind the scenes, as we dive into real and brutally honest conversations about different industries, how women are smashing stereotypes, balancing motherhood, and are building successful businesses. This is OB Boss Babes. The maple syrup capital of Ontario, Lanark County is made up of small towns, cottage communities, and beautiful hilly landscapes. Only an hour drive southwest of Ottawa, the area has become a popular day trip destination for many locals and visitors from the nation's capital. Amid the beauty, there is so much to do and see with museums, historic landmarks, shops of many kinds, delightful dining, and outdoor opportunities for adventure. This region is known as a shopping and staycation destination all year long. While you explore Lanark County, be sure to stop in at one of the many sites along the Maple Trail. Each destination on the Build Your Own Maple Adventure offers a chance to enjoy the truly Canadian delicacy of maple syrup with restaurants, cafes, sugar camps, shops, and events. To learn more all about what there is to see and do in Lanark County, visit the area's tourism website at www.lanarkcountytourism.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to the OB Boss Babes podcast. Gwendolyn Nealon went to the United Kingdom in her early 20s for a fresh start, falling in love with the British culture. After moving back home, this barista turned baker with a passion for food, tea, and British tradition stumbled across the opportunity to take over an established tea room in downtown Elmont, and the cake crumble seemed to fall into place, along with a lot of manifesting, hard work and support, and Gwendolyn opened her tea room and restaurant, Tea and Cake. So in this episode, we chatted about the British tea culture, including fascinating rules around tea manners, food and drink etiquette, and table settings, and why tea and cake doesn't necessarily follow all of them. The difference between afternoon and high tea, along with some fun history facts, why breaking the rules in business is strategic and contributes to the success of your business, ultimately making it stand out, and how Gwendolyn is targeting a diverse customer base to come to her team room rather than just primarily women. Now, I do want to advise everybody that I've recently been trying out a new podcasting platform. And so we had some technical issues during this recording, which is why this episode is coming out so late. So I do apologize. There is some echoing in the background. So please bear with me. This is the only podcast that this has happened to. And hopefully this will not happen in the future. Anyways, please welcome Gwendolyn Nealon from Tea and Cake in downtown Almont to OB Boss Babes. So Gwendolyn, I am so excited to, to chat with you and hear all about your journey, but specifically really into how you started as a former barista turned baker with a passion for food and tea. And of course, British tradition. And you actually have quite the background and experience working in various cafes and bakeries. So I want to know where your passion for baking initially started. Um, well, it's funny. I honestly, I couldn't tell you when I first started baking because I've been doing it my whole life. Um, my, my household was what I have since heard called an ingredients only household. So like we had chocolate chips in the cupboard. We didn't have Oreos. There was no, there was no pre-made snacking. It was like, my mom was, was mostly at home. 
we would get home from school and there were homemade chocolate chip cookies or banana muffins or whatever. Um, my dad also had his own business and worked from home. Um, and he would wake up at like 5 a.m. just because he was a crazy insomniac. And so you'd wake up and have fresh baked bread. Like he had this fantastic multi-flour molasses bread recipe that he always made. And we just had that in the house all the time. It wasn't, it was like we had, we had freezer bread that was, you know, your, the fallback if we happened to run out. Um, so I just, I feel like I've been baking since I could hold a wooden spoon. Just, well, you you didn't have a choice. Food. You didn't have a choice in that regard, right? Like, I mean, if you wanted something from the cupboard, it's like, no, you got to make something. And it's yeah. funny, Gwendolyn, that you say that because I'm a little jealous. I'm a little jealous. I'm not going to lie because we had every snack on the shelf growing up because my parents, like they worked corporate jobs. They were right. gone basically from seven in the morning until five o'clock at night. So my husband is kind of like you growing up with a mom, a stay at home mom that uh, always made everything from scratch. So when I was like, have you ever had Lipton sidekicks or hamburger helper? Cause he's like, let's have a hamburger helper for supper tonight. And I'm like, can we not? I grew up with Lipton sidekicks and hamburger helper. And he's like, I love this stuff. And I'm like, no, there's a, there's a novelty value for us though. Like I didn't have KD until I was 12. I hadn't had it. And then I was at a friend's house and we were on our own for lunch or whatever. And so she made craft dinner and it was the first time I'd ever eaten it. I don't think That's I had hilarious. hamburger helper until college. <laughs> you're just like going and been like, what's this? And you find like pop tarts and everything in the cupboards. And you're like, oh, wait, wait a second. What's this? Okay, honestly, no joke. My first babysitting gig at 12 years old, the kid had to teach me how to use a microwave because we didn't have a microwave in my house. Oh my we gosh, old school. Software. Very old school. Everything old school. Our microwave broke down a couple of weeks ago and we were like literally out for the hunt that afternoon looking for a new one. My husband's like, we're, we're okay. We can survive. I'm like, no, no, we can't. I can't. <laughs> Maybe you can, but I can't. You know, oh, superheated in a saucepan actually tastes better. Too yeah. funny. Well, Gwendolyn, not only do you have a diverse background in baking, so making everything from scratch, but you're also a bit of a traveler because you've lived all over from Toronto to Perth and even, even the UK. So I really want to get into that a little bit. What inspired you to want to move to all of these different towns and cities, but especially move to England? I mean, they all had, they all had their own kind of reasons. Um, amusingly, most people don't realize I actually studied theater production uh, in university. So I was doing like costumes and stage management. And when I was accepted to what was then Ryerson, that was like the place to go. You didn't say no to going to Ryerson. And I mean, living in downtown Toronto was like, that's where you go to work in theater in Canada, there or Vancouver. Um, so that's how I ended up in Toronto. I sort of, I was really terrified of moving to big city, but that's where it made sense to be. Um, and then I actually ended up falling in love with it. I, I made such a concerted effort to explore and get to know the city and find things to like that when I left after five years, I was, I was heartbroken. I was really sad. Um, but when I had, decided I, I had a bit of a break between contracts um, and suddenly realized that I had time to do other things like travel and bake and do crafts and you know all the things I hadn't been able to do while I was busy with theater 
and I kind of decided to change change career paths a little bit. Didn't know exactly what I did want to do, but wanted something more stable than theater, which is ironic given that I ended up owning my own business. Um, so I moved home, which my parents were in Shawville, Quebec, but that was the summer they sold their house and started building their new house uh, in McDonald's Corners inside Perth. So I think I've been home for about three weeks before we moved to Perth. Um, so I was there for about a year and as a benefit of living with my parents for most of a year, I suddenly had enough money saved up to do the traveling that I'd always really wanted to do. So I got myself a UK work visa. My sister had been there for 10 years or something at the time. Um, and I'd been over to visit her a couple times and I just, I just loved it. I felt really at home there. There was, we did a lot of hiking and walking and going to tea rooms and pubs and um, growing, you know, going and looking around at, uh, at the beautiful architecture and the old cathedrals. And it just, I just felt very comfortable there. And so when I was thinking about, okay, where do I want to live? Where do I want to experience? That made sense as a place to kind of set up a home base. And then I was working from there and kind of bopping over to Europe for the weekend because once you're on that side of the pond, you can do that. You just, I would literally like go on the Ryanair website and look at what the cheap flight was this weekend and just go. <laughs> I miss those days. I yeah. miss those days yeah. of being young and being able to do that and having the energy to do that no less too, Gwendolyn. Oh my yeah, gosh. Exactly. I have to ask you too, did you ever see any celebrities there? Spice Girls, the Royals? I didn't. I wasn't in like London Center. So, you know, maybe I would have if I was in, in London. <laughs> I was up in the Peak District, which is this beautiful area in sort of a couple hours north. Because um, that's where my sister was. So I kind of moved around her in a big circle. I was, I got to be there when she had her baby, which was really, it was nice. I was there for Aww. my niece's first six months. Oh, that's so special. So that's it was really nice, like quality time with with her and being part of her life over there as well. And she's still over there. It's been sixteen years or something now. So, what brought her there? She went over on a teaching contract. Um, she had just finished teachers' college, and at the time, it was really hard to get a teaching job in Ontario. Um, and so she went over to teach, and she met a guy, stayed. <laughs> Always how it goes, right? That's exactly how it goes. Yeah. <gasps> But that was a really great opportunity for you, though, to take advantage of her being there already, knowing that you had family there, knowing that you have that support system, too, especially when you're kind of feeling isolated or missing family back home. It's so exactly. nice that you already had your sister there who's already kind of immersed in the culture, the lifestyle. You can kind of tag along and then do your exactly. own thing, too, and run around and, and have some fun. totally took me in and and just sort of adopted me as one of their own. And so I had this kind of easy, ready-made group when I went over there. So what so brought you back really to Ontario? Nice. Um, well, my, uh, my work visa ran out. Um, so I kind of had to do, I had to make a decision. I had to change something and I wasn't thrilled about it at the time, to be honest. I was, I was pretty heartbroken to leave the UK. I had sort of been, I'd been there for two years and I was in my mid twenties. So it wasn't like I was, you know, an 18 year old nomad. I was old enough to have been like, started to put down roots and feel like I was building a life and kind of had the rug pulled out from under me a little bit, even though I 
you know, saw it coming two years away. It was still, there was some denial there, I think, for a while. Um, and so feeling a bit sort of shaky and like I didn't really know where I was going to go next and what I wanted to do next. Ottawa made sense. My, I had another sister here. My parents were close to here. I had, you know, I grew up not too far away. So I kind of, this was where I had, I felt like the most chance of feeling like I had a, a home and connections already. Um, and my sister here had a spare room and took me in for the first couple months while I got a job and sorted myself out and sort of, yeah, made a, made a life here. All right. So you're back home now living with sister number two, uh-huh. trying to get back on your feet, decide what you want to do. Did you ever think that entrepreneurship was, was the next step for you? Well, it was definitely a dream. It was definitely a goal. Um, I didn't think it was going to happen so quickly. Uh, that was kind of just the fates aligned. Um, I started while I was living with her, I started a kind of weekend baking farmer's market company called called tea and cake it's where i where i started tea and cake um and the thought there was that i would you know build a brand build a customer base test out some recipes kind of get my feet wet a little bit and then hopefully years a decade down the line i would actually get to have a brick and mortar business well, after doing my homework, I learned that Tea and Cake was formerly the Robin's Nest Tea Room. So tell me how and when the opportunity came for you to purchase the business. Um, so it showed up kind of a little bit out of the blue. Um, I'd been doing these markets for a couple of months, and I was really just sort of finding my feet in Ottawa. Like I had, I'd, I'd met a boy a couple months before. I was sort of feeling a little bit like, okay, this is where I can be. Um, and I was just browsing online, um, websites of businesses for sale. So, yeah, as you do checking out listings, pretending it was kind of research for like, okay, how much would it cost to open a business versus buy a business, but really just, just daydreaming. Um, and then I was reading a description of a shop in Elmont and I recognized it. They don't tend to name the business in these kinds of listings because they haven't necessarily advertised that they're selling. But from the description, it was like, okay, cute little tea room in Almont was pretty clear which one it was. Um, My mom and grandma had been going there for lunch and they described it, they talked about it. Um, So I knew exactly which one it was. And Almont was very much on my list of places I would really love to end up um, because it was sort of central to this this area that I decided I wanted to be in. And I, I knew Almont from when I was a kid. We, um, we would drive through to go to my family's cottage up in Lanark. And we'd stop for ice cream at what was then Peterson's ice cream and hang out by the waterfalls. Like it was sort of our, our little break on the drive. And so I just, Almont felt really familiar even though I'd never lived here. And mm-hmm. I just, I knew all these things about what an adorable little town it was. But at the time, doing my research, it's like, well, it's not really going to be able to sustain another little bakery or, or cafe. Like it's, it has quite a few already. And so when this one opened up for sale that was there already, it's like, okay, I mean, I have, to, I have to try, right? Like, probably won't come together. I'm, you know, barely back on my feet. Don't have any savings. 
no idea, no idea what I'm doing here, but I got to try. Um, yeah. So I started a business plan and I talked to some, there's a, a company called Futurepreneur that does funding for small businesses. Um, and I'd heard of them because I'd worked for another small businesses that, another small business that was funded by them. So they were the first place I went to look and they have great resources for how to build a business plan as well. So I went through them and just kind of went through the motions and daydreamed and wished and hoped and crossed all my fingers and toes. And about three months later, I was holding the keys in my hand. So many times when I talk to business owners, they... They're like me. They just jump in with the, without thinking, head first, going into business, and then kind of realize maybe <laughs> six months down the road that they're like, wait a second, I don't know how to do all of the back end work. I know my craft. I know my industry, but I don't know anything about a business plan or any kind of strategic marketing and advertising, bookkeeping, like anything like that. So the fact that you really looked into those resources immediately before embarking on entrepreneurship, I think was very smart because a lot of us don't do that right away. I, I tend to kind of, I daydream by planning. And so I like in order to make something feel like it's a real possibility for me, even when it feels like it's years out, I accumulate information for what I would do theoretically when it happens. And so when I was working for this other little bakery that was actually the strawberry blonde bakery in Ottawa, uh, when they first started out, um, and they were started with futurepreneur and they, I think mentioned that probably in an interview or something once. And it just, the little ding in my brain went, ah, remember that Keep yep. them in mind. Smart. Good for you. So tea is considered an important part of the British culture and a prominent feature of its society. But Gwendolyn, I want to know what is it about the British tea culture and everything about the UK that you really enjoy? I mean, tea is just, it's just cozy. And I, I love that in England, tea is the solution to all problems. Brokenhearted, have a cup of tea. Lost your job, have a cup of tea. Nuclear apocalypse, have some tea. But just like everything, anything that happens, I'm like, let me make you a cup of tea. Everything. And it's just, it's just such a sweet kind of tradition. And even if you hate tea, someone has offered to do something for you. And that little bit of comfort goes a long way for whatever is wrong. And that's just, I feel like that's sort of representative of a lot of what I experienced of England. Like even, even the pubs are sort of, they're cozy old stone buildings with fireplaces and big comfy armchairs and photos of the queen through the ages on the walls. And you'll be out for a, a, a hike because that's kind of the national pastime. They go for walks and you'll stop into whatever little cozy place and you'll get yourself a hot chocolate or a beer or a tea or whatever your your beverage of choice is and it's just it's just comfy you know you come in you dry off there's usually a dog wandering around in the in the pub somewhere it's just very relaxed and comfortable and that's that's the vibe that I that I love that's the vibe that I really wanted to bring forward and and to sort of maintain i've always thought it was funny the uh the tradition of british afternoon tea 
was basically started by a hungry duchess. It was the 1800s, um, and they had just started having dinner later. It was, became fashionable to have dinner later in the evening because they had like gas lamps and stuff, and they could suddenly do things past eight o'clock at night. But then they're having their, you know, lunch at noon and their dinner at eight o'clock at night. And this one, this one duchess, at least as legend has it, who knows, um, she decided that, that she was hungry and couldn't wait that long. Uh, and so she ordered a, a tray of tea and bread and butter and some cake to, to be served to her at four o'clock or so in the afternoon. And it became a thing. She started inviting her friends to do it. And I can only assume that all of these other hungry wealthy ladies who decided that you know decided that this was a great idea that they also wanted to have a snack in the middle of the afternoon um and it became a thing so it's it became very fashionable because it was these wealthy women who started it i guess and people just they got hungry at four in the <laughs> afternoon you know it's that after work snack moment it's just you need a little pick-me-up that's right. I mean, if you're going to have a crumpet, you might as well have something to uh, kind of moisten it a little bit <laughs> to, exactly. to get it to go down. Exactly. It's it's so interesting, Gwendolyn, though, how your journey and being out in the UK ended up leading you to not only becoming a business owner, but also also opening up and taking over a tea room. Like, isn't it crazy? Like, was this ever in the forefront of your mind thinking that this was something that you kind of manifested or knew was going to happen? You know, there's the phrase. Um, Luck is when planning meets opportunity. The right opportunities, you know, came along and I was really fortunate in many ways that the things showed up and things came together. And, you know, I happened to that guy that I had started dating just before I opened up the shop. He's my, he's my fiance now. We've been together for six and a half years and he was so supportive. I mean, three months into a relationship is not a good moment to start a business. You're really like, there's not a lot of attention going to the new relationship at that point. And he was so supportive right from the beginning and, and so sort of kind and helpful and happy to be involved in whatever ways he could. Um, and there just, there were a whole bunch of those. My, my family was always really supportive. Um, my dad was really helpful with a lot of the practical side of, you know, like literally hanging the sign for me. Um, he would come in and do plumbing for me if something went wrong the first couple of years. My mom was my first employee. She worked in the kitchen for me um, for the first couple of years. Everything kind of just fell into place, but at the same time, it wouldn't have fallen into place if I hadn't done some of that research and, and really worked hard to get it into place. I was lucky, but I also worked my butt off. Absolutely. But you need that support system, though, I think, in order to yeah. be successful in anything that you do. Without a support system and that supportive network cheering you on, helping you out, being there if you have any questions, mentors, family members, people to bounce ideas off of, like just or yeah. people just to vent to, you know, on those days that are so hard and challenging, you're thinking, why the hell did I decide to do this? Yeah. You need that. You need that in order to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really couldn't have done it without, without any of those people. Um, and even my, my team right from the beginning, I've just, I've been really fortunate to have the most wonderful little crew of, of staff right from day one. And 
the the first the last of the the sort of the original crew retired just last fall they were with me for the almost five years for about five years and then they were there basically long enough to transition in the new crew and now i've got this new wonderful crew of people who just i couldn't do it without them any any one of them they all they treat it like their own yeah and and it's it's really it's really inspiring and i think it's funny because i started it for me and now i feel like i i keep it going for them as much as anything i love that that's so rewarding so rewarding at the end of the day so many people want to try new and different experiences. And because tea rooms are so far and few between, especially in rural communities like ours, people might not be accustomed to the art of tea etiquette. But I'm sure, Gwendolyn, that you have some extreme tea room lovers who are familiar with afternoon tea etiquette. So how closely, how closely do you follow the rules of this tradition? Um well, so the number one rule that, that we break um, is that I have long since given up on explaining to people the difference between high tea and afternoon tea. Um, <laughs> most people think that high tea is the one that's like tea with the queen, the fancy one. And actually, it's just supper. They still oh. call the, the 5.30 in the afternoon meal after work, they still call that tea over there. Um, it's just, it's your stew, your pie, whatever. It's your late afternoon meal. And it was more working class because they were the ones who weren't going to pay to keep the gas lamps going after eight o'clock at night. They were going to bed because they had to work the next day. So they had their dinner earlier and they called it high tea. Um, afternoon tea is the one that's the, the posh one that people know about with the three tiers. So that one I'll explain for anyone who, who doesn't know what high tea is. Um, you theoretically start with your bottom tier is little cream cheese and cucumber sandwiches, little dainty, the crusts are cut off, it's cut into tiny little shapes, um, there's often smoked salmon involved, you get a little like little tiny quiches or little bites of, everything is bite sized and delicate and dainty. Um, and then your next tier up is scones, it's a requirement, they're kind of central to the, the afternoon tea tradition. Uh, and then the top tier is sweets. So you get little, again, everything tiny, dainty, elegant, little cakes, little shortbread cookies, um, just sort of a couple little pieces of each. It's not a huge thing, it's just a snack, but somehow tiny little things add up to most people have to take a couple things home at the end. Um, and ours is often a little less dainty, just because, partly because that way it appeals to more people. They can order it for lunch and it's a meal and because we do more kind of rustic home baking style of things rather than the fancy french pizzi fools and so it'll be you know a little mini cupcake with a pile of icing on it instead of like a one inch square victoria sponge because it's just it's easier to align with what we have um there aren't a lot of rules around, at least not that we follow. <laughs> um, you know, we tend to, we're pretty relaxed. People get intimidated by the idea of a tea room. And people love to dress up. Often we get little girls in very fancy little dresses and tiaras. And often we get grown women wearing fascinators that they've made themselves. And it's a, it's an excuse to dress up and, and feel like a princess and be treated like royalty. Um, but then it's also just... 
a nice way to get to try a little bit of everything. And so there are people who just do it as a kind of lunch special with they don't want to have to choose between all the different things. And so they order something that's a bit of a sampler. It's we try not to be too intimidating. We try to keep it really accessible and and friendly and, and cozy, keeping that, that comfortable atmosphere going. Yeah, I think We're, I think that's important to be able to do that, especially where we are. Like we do have those diehards though, because I was reading a couple of reviews on TripAdvisor or these these different blog websites about mm-hmm. experiencing different tea rooms across Ontario or even across Canada. And there are some people that are very um they are very by the book. They are very strict and and they're very not to say judgmental, but they uh, they definitely leave their opinions yeah, <laughs> in those different. in those reviews to let people know like if you are looking for a real authentic tea room, go here or this one's just not up to par as as it should be and it's just like yeah. so I didn't realize about the whole tea culture and and how uh, and how strict people can actually be with it. They they certainly can. Um, and we do, I mean, we, we do it, I was trained in England, right? So it, it is fairly authentic in terms of like the scones are the real deal. We actually make uh, a scone cream. We were buying the, the Devonshire cream that's imported from the one region in England that, you know, it's not Devonshire cream if it doesn't come from Devon. Um, but it's not super, there was a, a weird thing with uh, import limitations for a while. We just couldn't get it anywhere. Um, so it's a funny, it's a very specific one that people will be diehards about. It must be this. Yeah. But we, I developed a recipe to make our own so that we didn't have to be reliant on supply chain things during COVID. Um, so we make one that's not quite the same. We just call it our scone cream, but it has kind of the same, it's the same sort of somewhere between butter and whipped cream not super sweet, that accentuates the jam and the scone really nicely. So we're kind of breaking the rule, but we are, you know, following the the letter of the law, or the spirit of the law, if not the letter. Um, one of the big debates, actually, one of the big sort of regional discussions uh, in England is the order of the jam and the cream on the scone. Uh, Really, it's the, the most bizarre. It's the most bizarre <laughs> thing, but people are really like you will find online debates about um, whether you put the cream first and then the jam, or whether you put the jam first and then the cream. Interesting. It's, people choose the funniest things to get hung up on, but it's like oh, a, they do. an ages long debate in England. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the OV Boss Babes podcast. We're going to hear from our sponsors. Don't worry. We'll be right back. Looking for something to do? Come explore the communities throughout Mississippi Mills. Whether you're in Almont, Appleton, Blakeney, Clayton, Ramsey, or Pakenham, you will find the natural culture and heritage aspects combined with friendly people, unique shops, and amazing restaurants that will fill your visit with an incredible experience. Check out our Mississippi Fun Guide, where you can learn about our history, explore the outdoors, parks and trails, learn more about local festivals and events, and find some tasty local eateries throughout the area. In Mississippi Mills, there's a smile around every corner, and we always have time for company. Come for an hour, a day, or a week. We'll make sure you'll want to return again and again. Local Immigration Partnership, Lanark and Renfrew is a conduit to community planning. 
This work includes training pertinent to our goal of creating welcoming communities for newcomers. Register today for one of the free Introduction to Intercultural Competency workshops happening each month featuring topics like identity and culture, value-based behaviors, assigning meaning, and unconscious bias. Take advantage of this come-as-you-are opportunity and learn more about yourself, the people in your life, and be part of a welcoming community. Find the workshop that suits you at liplanarkrenfrew.ca slash services slash facilitation. Looking for a job in Renfrew or Lanark County? The Labour Market Group of Renfrew and Lanark has launched the most comprehensive job board in the region, pulling from over 35 different job sites, with an interactive map to show you the resources surrounding each job, from childcare to grocery stores and more. And with additional tools, such as our Career Explorer, you'll find labour market information, including average wages and career change pathways, all in one place. Fill up your job toolkit today by visiting jobs.labormarketgroup.ca. Hey, it's Kristen Hawley, sales representative with Exit Ottawa Valley Realty, your truly local realtor born and raised in the Ottawa Valley and helping others to call this place home. And you're listening to the OV Boss Babes podcast. Well, you can't have your tea without having it in some beautiful vintage china. And vintage china is actually a focal point at Tea and Cake. They go hand in hand with high tea. And I saw too on the socials that you actually have a shelf of vintage china on display along with a lovely plate wall opposite to it. So where are your favorite places to search for antique china pieces? So I do have places that I go. I mean, Almont itself is full of beautiful little antique shops and I'm always happy for an excuse to to wander through those and so anytime I need a specific like a new teapot or um tears was the big thing our our high tea took off um in the last couple of years and became really really popular so we needed a lot more of the three-tiered platters um, and so I was on the hunt for those for quite a while building up my collection and that went everywhere from the antique stores on Mill Street to Facebook marketplace, just wherever I could get them. Most of our day-to-day -day use um, teacups, though, actually come from donations. Customers oh. will, come, will come in and they see that we use them and they'll go, oh, I have a box of my mother-in-law's china in my attic. It's been there for a decade. My kids don't want it. Will you use it? And of course we will. And so they bring it in. And we go through it and sometimes there are some pieces that we don't really use like they don't either they're you know soup terrines that we just don't that's not really something that we use or they're teacups we don't really like sometimes um or that aren't like the right size if they're sort of massive compared to all of our other teacups um then we donate those to the hub across the street which is our our local charity shop which is also one of my favorite places to go to get beautiful pieces because everyone also else donates their beautiful things to there as well. Um, but most of the stuff we actually put out, we, uh, we use it in, in regular rotation and you have people coming in and, and saying, Oh, I recognize the teacup on that table. That's, you know, that was, 
the same pattern my grandmother had. And it's sort of, it's one of the big conversation pieces at the shop is people identifying China as something they recognize from their childhood. Yeah, there's um, definitely that nostalgic aspect piece to it as well, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, we had a gentleman come in once um, and he, he came in and looked around and he said, Just such a lovely place. It reminds me of my grandmother's house. And he meant it as the highest of compliments. Yeah. And and I took it as such because that's, that is, you know, that's the atmosphere is we want you to feel comfortable and and comforted and be able to, you know, sit on your chair and sip your tea and eat your slice of homemade cake and talk about your day. That warm, inviting, comfortable that's feeling. That's what we're going for. That's right. Now, can we expect when we're having afternoon tea or enjoying a baked good at, uh, at Tea and Cake, are there mismatched dishes? Are they all matching? Like, what are we expecting here? So it's mostly mismatched. It depends a little bit which staff member you get. I do have some servers who really like to have all the same plate on the table. And there are some, there are some that we might have, you know, four or six of the same. Um, mostly, if, I, if I'm the one setting the table, they're all different because they either have to be all the same or all different. And we, because of the donations that we get, a lot of actually the donations that arrive, there was a generation, two generations ago, like sort of our grandmothers who had a tradition of a, a teacup shower before they got married, where everyone brought a teacup, a teacup and a saucer. And so they all have these collections of like 15 to 20 mismatched teacups. And those are what, they, what they're donating now. And so that's what we have. You know, we, won't, we have some overlap. We have a few that we have three or four of the same, but especially with the teacups, they're mostly one of a kind. I bet. Oh, that's so interesting. Now I kind of want to get into the tea a little bit here mm -hmm. and Princess Diana's favorite tea, and you're going to have to correct me, Gwendolyn, if I'm not saying this correctly, was the Rose Kongu Emperor. Is that correct? Am I saying that right? I think so. Yeah. So this is a luxurious black tea that's layered with rose petals. It sounds luxurious to the core, but what are some teas that you serve at Tea and Cake? Um, so we have a tea list on our tables, like the way that some restaurants have a wine list. We have usually about 20 different kinds of tea at any given time. Um, we, most of our teas come from a supplier called Pluck Teas. They're based in Toronto uh, and they're a Canadian company that does a lot of, they do a lot of things I really like. So they're, they do a lot of organic teas. They do some upcycled teas. So sort of the, the byproduct. Um, we have some, there's a tea that has sunflower petals in it. Those kinds of things that are, you know, they're, they're side, side products of something else and they're being used in in teas these guys are rescuing them basically um all of their tea bags are biodegradable all their packaging and stuff um so that's all stuff that i really i really like i really you know i, I choose them for that but they also do really awesome blends they do some really nice blends and they're sort of they're canadian themed we've got a georgian bay berry we've got a canadian maple uh we had one uh, it was called the Canoe Lake Blend, so we featured it. We It wasn't super popular, so we won't probably carry it again. Um, it was smoky. Like, it tasted like a cup of tea that had been brewed over a campfire. 
it was a very interesting flavor. Yeah, um, I'd give that one a go. Yeah, like it was an interesting one to try once. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> there weren't a lot of people having it and then buying a jar to take home, let's say. Okay. Um, which a lot of people will do with the other kinds that we carry because a lot of them are so unique. Now, do you know what the most popular type of tea in England is? Basically, orange pico or English breakfast. Uh, if you go into a cafe and order a tea, you're going to get a black tea with milk. Always. Um, if you want anything that isn't black tea, you got to ask for fruit tea. Even if it's mint, even if it's chamomile, they're going to call it a fruit tea. Okay. Because if it's not black, it's fruit. <laughs> Next, I want to go Martha Stewart on you and talk about table setting, placement, and table manners. Because, of course, this goes hand in hand with afternoon and high tea. So of give course. us a walkthrough of how to set the table for afternoon tea, but Ottawa Valley Royal style. I think it's not too different. I mean, our tables are kind of, we have a little vase of flowers in the middle and we have our little tea list and our, usually we use our, our um, teacups if a saucer gets broken and we still really like the teacup, then we'll use it as a little dish to carry um, sugar packets on the table. We try to, that's a lot of where our decorations come from as well, is if one part of the set has broken. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to throw this one out. It's too pretty. Then it goes on the shelf. So our, our tables are fairly, we have little um, little handmade table squares. They're not full on tablecloths. It's just a little square to add some color. So they're fairly pretty to begin with. And then for the high tea, we give everybody uh, one of our mismatched, beautiful teacups. Um, they get a little uh, side plate, a little dessert plate. But again, probably mismatched. Usually florals and little gold strips on them. Uh, and then they get a napkin and a teaspoon and a butter knife that are often real silver because it's hard to get little dainty little butter knives that aren't. Yeah, so they'll get they'll get real silver and they've got that whole set. And then we bring out their they get their tea in an individual pot. Um, even if they were pretty lax about you know if somebody wants a coffee gasp, we'll, we'll offer coffee or pink lemonade or hot chocolate or sort of substitute, you know, whatever other drink you want. One of my favorites is when a, a little kid is having high tea and they want their pink lemonade, but they want one of the pretty little teapots. Um, so we bring them their lemonade in a teapot and they pour it into oh, their little teacup. So we still get the experience, um, but without the, the scalding hot tea. Yeah. Now, Mabel, Mabel, if you're able, get your elbows off the table. We all know that famous line, but what are some formal eating manners and etiquettes while enjoying breakfast, lunch, dessert, or high tea at your tea room? Well, like I said, we're not, we're not overly formal. We, uh, we really believe it's much more about spending time with friends and enjoying delicious food than enjoying societal rules. We're not your mom. We're not here to tell you to get your elbows off the table. Um, we like to set up the fancy platters with the dainty snacks and, you know, it's always fun to hear the, the gasp of admiration when it comes out because they're very pretty. Um, lots of, lots of Instagram photos get taken inside the shop. Um, we certainly turn a blind eye to people who decide to start at the top tier and eat dessert first and work their way down. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. We don't comment, you know. Um, one of the, the sort of just restaurant etiquette things that's really helpful for us is if people pre-book the afternoon tea because it is so many little dainty things that it's important for us to make sure that we have them all prepared 
because we do we make everything in really small batches so we do run out of things sometimes um so it's just helpful for us if they call ahead and let us know how many teas we can expect that day and then we know how many scones to bake off fresh and and we're quite a small dining room so we can make sure that we can you know have have a full table set aside for them and have it all preset to give them the whole experience so that is something that we ask so what is the best part of the baking process, Gwendolyn, that you enjoy the most, would you say? Um, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite things about the business model of the small, the small shop is that I get to experiment. I get to make different things because it does get boring making the same three kinds of squares and two kinds of cookies over and over. We do because they're customer favorites and, you know, people would be heartbroken if they came in and we didn't have the, the gluten-free brownie in the, in the display fridge. But I love to do seasonal specialties, you know, what, whatever they're selling at the farmer's market, whatever's really good. A lot of the time the soups are based on, you know, oh, we've had this great zucchini crop donated. Uh, we do a, a vegetable exchange um, in the summer times where people bring in berries, herbs, rhubarb, rhubarb and zucchini is usually what it's really comes down to. Um, and we give them a gift card in exchange for uh, produce from their garden. So we get to use really wonderful, fresh, local goodies, and they get a little gift card to come back and, you know, savor their zucchini in the form of muffins or whatever. I love that. That's smart. It's really, it's really nice. I just, I... I really value fresh local ingredients as much as possible. And there are so many, I mean, you'll drive past a house and they've got like a jungle of rhubarb in the yard. And I just think, I just want to go knock on the door and yeah. ask if I can harvest some. Um, and I haven't I'm sure they enough. wouldn't say no to having a little often, bit of it cleaned up. Often they wouldn't, uh, but haven't been quite brave enough to do that yet. But yeah. if I just say, hey, I'll take it and I'll give you something back for it then it's, you know, it gives them the motivation to, to pick it up. Yeah. And then, but going, but going back yeah. to the concept yeah. of, uh, of giving the gift card in exchange for fresh produce, what a great way to support one another and, and to ensure the success of both of your businesses. Yeah, exactly. Um, we actually, it's, we had started a great relationship with a local farm by, by doing that. So last summer he came in and donated a bunch of zucchini and and got a, a gift card in exchange and now this summer we're on his mailing list and he sends me an email every monday to say hey this is what we have this week yeah and i get microgreens lettuce spinach edible flowers herbs all kinds of things from from him it's a farm called uh, nature's apprentice and he and his wife run it Okay. So this is, this is why I love having these conversations, Gwendolyn, because when you're supporting a local business and you know that this business, or maybe you don't know this business is supporting a local farmer, you're supporting a local family, you're giving back to your community in multiple ways. I love hearing that. And I, I love knowing that, uh, that you're helping another local farmer, especially like in this regard. So good job. Good it's job for that favorite things about this community actually is that we all we all do that um we're all sort of interconnected we have it doesn't feel like we're in competition even with the other cafes we're not we all offer something different most of the shops on the street are really careful about making sure that they're not even if they all sell gift you know greeting cards they try not to supply them from the same companies 
because they're trying not to be in direct competition. They're trying to they're trying to create a space where somebody comes in and says, hey, I need to buy an umbrella. And you can say, well, we don't sell them here, but that shop down the street does. Mm -hmm. So I've actually gotten referrals from Baker Bob's before people call and ask him for custom cakes. And he says, well, we don't do those, but and Cake does. Yeah. And then when people come in and ask us if we do bread or croissants, we say, well, we don't do that, but Baker Bob's does. It's providing that that um, that multifaceted support to one another, and and really and really showing that community support too. Well, and yeah, I mean, Elmont is we're a tourist destination, sort of first mm -hmm. and foremost, and so if one of us thrives, we all thrive. Now, what do you think, Gwendolyn, that you're doing in business to ensure that your tea room and catering business stands out and appeals to anyone? whether it be a tea connoisseur to first-time tea drinkers, while also targeting a diverse customer base rather than primarily just women? Um, well, we've really actually branched out since since I took over, um, since it became Tea and Cake, because it really was elderly women was the, the demographic when I, when I started. Um, and I've made a, a concerted effort to kind of open it up. We still have a lot of those same customers coming back, but we also have other you know younger families coming in we have one one single guy we've nicknamed him breakfast guy and he comes in for breakfast almost every day orders the same thing um sometimes he comes in for lunch sometimes he brings his parents sometimes he brings his girlfriend but we see him almost every day and i just i i love that that's one of the things that i really like about owning this you know small business in a small town so we get to know everybody we know his real name now but we still call him breakfast guy yeah um, so one of the things is I, I try really hard to make it more accessible. So like you were saying about the really formal high tea tradition that people feel like they have to get dressed up and they have to be, you know, fully prepared with their, their hats and their table manners. Um, our, our tea is much more casual. It's a lot less money than say the Chateau Laurier. Um, and it's, it's just sort of more accessible. It's easier. People come in from from uh, snowmobiling or from hiking. They might just come in with their, their empty water bottle and they're parched and they're just like, oh, give me a lemonade first. Snack. Yeah, and then feed me. <laughs> exactly. And it just, we, we try to be really accessible to everybody. Um, and one of the ways that we do that is um, we, we cater to most if not all, um, dietary needs. You know, we're not fully, we can't say we're fully allergen friendly because we do bake with all, all the sort of common allergens. We use nuts in the kitchen, we use gluten in the kitchen, but as much as possible, we try to accommodate, um, we, we can make most of our products vegan. We can do most of our products gluten-free. We can, um, I've had people order a diabetic version of the high tea before, and we work really hard to even if it can't be exactly the same as the product that we would have offered to the so person ordering a regular high tea, it will be something that makes them feel included. <laughs> It'll be something that's close enough and still serve it on the pretty little platter and they can still feel like they're, they're having a high tea party. Um, and that's one of the things actually I, I credit um, strawberry blonde with giving me the confidence to experiment with gluten-free vegan baking trying different things um just i don't know if i didn't have that experience if i would have been brave enough to say huh, i wonder if i can just 
stop gluten free flour into my standard chocolate cake recipe and see what happens. And it turns out it's right because our chocolate cake recipe is really moist and so it holds the gluten free flour really well. Um, so some of our recipes, like our brownies and our lemon bars that we have all the time that people just buy as squares, as desserts, um, they are gluten free just by default all the time. Yeah. I, um, I actually heard this really, this really great like piece of advice on a podcast recently, Gwendolyn, that said like, when you first go into your industry, learn the rules, learn the rules. In this case, you know, ensure you have the right ingredients, make sure you follow the directions, master that, and then break the rules, learn everything, go by the book. And then once you master it, break the rules, do something different, get creative. Cause people will love that. People will fall in love with that. And then you make it your own. Yeah. I really, I really like that. That's, that is exactly how I would have, how I would have summarized it if I thought to say it that way. Um, <laughs> Because yeah, we just we we'll bend over backwards to accommodate different needs because we like making people happy. Yeah. At its core, I like to feed people. I like to hear the buzz and happy chatter of you know families catching up, parties in the in the dining room. Um, that's that's what I'm here for. That's that's what it's all about. Oh, it just sounds like such an inclusive and comfortable environment, Gwendolyn, that you can kick your shoes off at the floor and grandma or, you know, just having that warm face, that comforting face saying, welcome, come on in. I'll feed you. I'll serve you a warm cup of tea on mismatched, <laughs> mismatched China. And, uh, and you're going to leave here feeling, feeling rested, feeling comfortable, feeling happy, and most importantly, feeling warm and fed. And I think that's so important. And I love that you kind of separated yourself goal. a little bit from the Chateau Laurier where, you know, it's prim, it's proper. You are making sure that your elbows aren't on the table, right? Yeah. Like, and it's, it's a different experience. I'm not, I'm not knocking that one. I mean, nope. I'd love to try that one in, uh, in Victoria where they, during COVID, they pivoted to do their, their high teas in the garden. So they did them as like an outdoor picnic experience where you still use all the China and you're under a big parasol and it, it sounds gorgeous. But it's a totally different experience. Mm -hmm. You yeah. want people to be coming regularly, being regular visitors at Tea and Cake. I think that's the Absolutely. experience that you're looking for. You know, one of my very favorite things that I don't know if I'd thought about or anticipated beforehand, but I have a couple of repeat customer families who I've made birthday cakes for all of their kids for the last five years. There's one family where I made like the bridal shower cake for one sister and then the gender reveal and the baby shower cake and then the wedding cake for the next sister and they still they call me for all of their grandmother's birthdays and every every event and I just I love being their go-to baker um I I love feeling like I get to be part of their family tradition that's one of the one of the things that it's it's just it's an honor you know mm -hmm. to be it's the highest possible compliment to be called again and again yes that people yes. come in and say you know what whatever you want to make us we just love it and like the tr the trust involved in that the compliment involved there is just it's just wonderful that's your paycheck at the end of the day that's exactly. the most rewarding thing. Oh, I love hearing that. This is exactly where your career path was meant to take you, Gwendolyn. This is exactly where you're meant to be. All of the chips 
fell where they, they were supposed to, or in this case, crumbles. <laughs> It led you to here. All right. So before I let you go, Gwendolyn, I do have a fun game. I did not tease you ahead of time with this. So it's called Sip or Spill the Tea. So you can either sip your tea if you want to skip the question. So you're just going to keep sipping your tea or you can spill the tea and you're going to share with us your answer. Okay. Okay. Has a customer ever come in and corrected you on either tea room etiquette, china that's being used, the taste of your crumpets, or whatever? Are you going to spill? Are you going to sip or spill the tea? I, I will spill. Absolutely. People have all kinds of opinions, especially about the right way to make scones, the, you know, what you should be doing with your, with your teacups, the right temperature to brew your tea at. Everyone's got opinions and they're all different. And yeah, we get that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever caught one of your staff sampling your taste testing as a dessert prior to serving it to a customer? That one actually all the time because I suggest that they try them. One of the perks of working with me is you get to try all different kinds of treats. And we usually do uh, what we jokingly call quality control. Um, although it is a bit, especially if it's a newer recipe. Um, if there's a new recipe that I'm experimenting with, I will cut up one of the squares or slices of cake or whatever for everybody to try some. Because I think it's important that people know what they're selling. Absolutely. Oh, that's a good perk. All right, kiss, diss, or marry? <laughs> King Charles, okay. Prince Harry, or Prince William? So we're oh. going to kiss, we're going to diss, and we're going to marry. What are we doing with these three? Always had a bit of a soft spot for Prince Harry. I know it's very controversial right now. <laughs> no, me too, me too. <laughs> but, you know, he was a teenager when I was a teenager, and he's a cutie. Uh, I kiss him. William seems like a solid guy. I definitely marry him. King Charles... Uh, I've always been a little iffy on the whole Diana thing. You know, it's hard yes. to come back from. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, team Diana all day, every day. Exactly. I mean, I watched I'm... The Crown and it just really cemented it. Like, I know that it's a fictional TV show, but it's so hard to get past. They've spilled the tea on quite a, quite a few things in their personal lives. So I'm dissing, I'm dissing Prince Charles right along with you. Absolutely. <laughs> team Diana all the way. Yes. Have you recently divulged on dessert before dinner? All the time. All the time. <laughs> no shame. No shame. <laughs> Is there a tea room that you saw while living in England that inspired tea and cake? Um, I think there were a few of them. It's sort of a, a mashup of a bunch of different places. Uh, one of my favorites, though, was a tea room in York. And it was in an old house that was probably... I remember it as three or four stories. And so the counter that you ordered at was on the ground floor and you could get takeout or you could place your order and then find yourself a table somewhere up the winding staircase of tiny little rooms. And they were super cozy, super comfy. Everything was kind of kitschy, charming. Every room was a different color, different mismatched furniture, all that. And also I remember thinking, man, those servers must just have incredible calves. So they're running up into all those rooms, <laughs> delivering sandwiches, having to find the, you know, your little table number marker. And they don't know where you are. They're just running up and down all those yeah. all day. That's too funny. Yeah. And Gwendolyn, I know you're going to spill the tea on this one. Who is one local boss babe that inspires you that you think everyone should know about? Um, you know what? I actually had the hardest time with this one because there are so many. One of the amazing things about Almont is how many 
entrepreneurs and especially female entrepreneurs. I couldn't give you a statistic, but most of the businesses on Mill Street are either female owned or husband and wife owned. And I just think that's incredible. Um, and it feels funny to recommend her because I feel like everyone already knows her. But Emily Arbor was honestly a big part of why I came to Elmont with my business. I had seen what she, the work she was doing to transform Mill Street and make it a destination. Um, and I just, I had participated in one of her um, cheerfully made markets, one of the early, early ones. And so I knew what kind of, what kind of power she had to draw people and just the, the transformative qualities that she brought to she and, and others, obviously, I, you know, it's not, not all on Emily, but she's done such a remarkable job of dragging Elmont kicking and screaming into the, the social media era and, and making it a, a hot destination for so many people. And I, I, really, love, admi I really admire her for that. I, I love that you gave her a shout out. And I think that the word that you used, remarkable, was a perfect way to describe Emily. And she really is, she really is her brand. She's cheerful. She's fun. Yeah. She's playful. And she's a really big community builder as well. I mean, Absolutely. look at what she stands for, building businesses, including them, mentoring them. She is such a huge part of the Elmont community. And I love that she hasn't, she hasn't um, moved away from there either because her brand has grown so much, but she really hones in on that small town feel too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love that shout out. Gwendolyn, thank you so, so much for being a part of OB Boss Babes podcast and for sharing us about your journey and your history and, and everything that encompasses around tea and cake. I'm going to have to make a stop sometime and, and try out some of your baked goods as well Please as do. come sit down with you and we can spill the tea a little bit more off the pod. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Anytime. Tell everybody where they can find Tea and Cake on the socials, plug your website, as well as uh, your catering business as well, because you are taking on catering orders. We do. We do a lot of catering orders. We do a lot of uh, custom cakes, wedding cakes. Um, you can check out all of our work at teaandcake.ca. Uh, we have an Instagram. We have a Facebook. They're all Tea and Cake or Tea and Cake Cater. We have photos. We have menus. Send us a message or stop in, because we love to see people. Well, babes, that's it for another week of OB Boss Babes podcast. Thanks so much for being a part of our tribe. If you're listening for the first time, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you're a regular listener, tell another biz owner how much you love our podcast. And who knows, maybe you or they might get featured next. Come back on Wednesday for our Boss Babe Corner mini-series for more entrepreneur features across the Ottawa Valley. This is OB Boss Babes.